The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Pachak. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Live from inside a glass pyramid in Piccadilly Circus Station, it's Doctor Who Pachak. Thing, wasn't it? <laughs> Are you all right, Victoria? Oh, what happened? Are we safe now? Oh, yes, I think so. <clears throat> oh. Salamander started the TARDIS without first closing the door. He was sucked out. Uh, and I nearly joined him. I'm <clears throat> very glad you didn't. He's not in a very enviable position, you know, at the moment, floating around in time and space. Now then, where shall we go? Oh, well, let's just get our breath back first before you start tearing off anyway. Anyway, as you know, the TARDIS has a mind of its own. You know you can't control it. Can't control it? No. We'll see about that. We'll see about that. Here we go again. I wonder where it'll be this time. Yes, I wonder. And here we go again. The Gallifrey Embassy presents Doctor Who Pachak episode... 299, 299 for those that are counting. And this is Louis Trapani in the U.S., in New York. Here with my New York accent. <laughs> and you don't sound so sure. <laughs> you like some coffee? Some coffee? Uh, I can't. Coffee talk? All right. Well, <laughs> excuse, excuse a New Yorker trying to do a New York accent. <laughs> I probably sound nothing like New York now when I'm doing the accent. But anyway, enough of me. Let's go across the uh, big Atlantic Ocean to Mr. Dave A.C. Cooper. Hello, Dave. Would you care for some tea? Not yet, E. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Lewis. Yeah. Hey, it's good to have you back. Yeah, but we're we're a bit lost in the Bermuda Triangle, I think, really. Here. Oh well, uh, maybe there's I, a missing plane. <laughs> maybe there's a missing yeah. plane in here somewhere. I, I've got a feeling there might be a number three hundred on the way. That's about all I know. <laughs> That's true. Next episode. <laughs> What's? Uh, I'm I'm not a big fan of the film, but there's a there's there's like a quote from that that everyone uses, um, and I can't think of it. This is Sparta. Yeah, this is this is Sparta or something like that. That's it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess we'll we'll have to have fun with that when when we do that episode. Yeah. But the, That's one of the great things of uh, having these uh, episodes where one of the episodes is actually you know. Well, in this particular case, it's 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 screen captures, but it's nice when they do it in uh, 
in animated form because you can you can have a, a rippling body like uh, yeah. a Spartan or something. <laughs> Well, I, I normally don't uh, celebrate episode numbers only because uh, what we have done in the past was with uh, Dr. Hugh Pachak Aftershock episodes d- didn't carry the same number sequence. And also there were a few Dr. Hugh Pachaks that we did, um, you know, episode uh, whatever number A and then episode the same number again B. And we did a few of those too. So in reality, episode 300 was like maybe 25 episodes ago, but so I, it's it's just a way to tell episodes apart, really. So there's no real um, we're we're ahead of whatever number we're at. I'm not exactly sure um, what number we're really at, but whatever. But it's whatever. It's it's just a number. <laughs> I, I usually uh, celebrate anniversaries. You know, like um, for instance, um, this July August will be our ninth anniversary, 2014. Yeah, so. Um, uh, another, um, you know, another year will, will be ten years doing Doctor Who Podshock. <laughs> yeah, you nearly said another nail in the coffin, then, didn't you? <laughs> well, yes, another nail in the coffin. It's um, it's hard to believe. Wow, but Absolutely that also means uh, the tenth anniversary of Doctor Who returning to TV as well. Yes, um, was it? Wasn't it? Um, uh, Somebody posted somewhere. I don't know this. Well, we haven't got it listed in the news section, but it was something about Christopher Eccleston had uh, ten years ago, a couple of days ago, he he'd either been cast or he'd just mm-hmm. done his first read through uh, as the ninth Doctor because, of course, um, he just signed up to be the Doctor. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. Of course, I, I have think. to go and look that up now, don't I? And that's not part of our news section, so. That's why I haven't got the the link. Well, it um, it was just a, a ten years ago, a couple of months ago. It was it was towards the end of twenty oh three, two thousand and three, that uh, news broke that they, that Doctor Who would be returning, and then um, and those that have that were fans at that time will remember the BBC website, uh, the Doctor Who page on the BBC website would have like these teaser photos of when once the production started they would have these photos from the set that would be like really obscure stuff that you would never ever guess what they were actually shooting from these you know um shots that they would uh, that they had so it was like a you know keeping a real mystery and but you know giving little nuggets of something to the fans indeed all right. Well, I guess what we can do is uh, jump into the, jump into the news since um, we're hedging on on news items. So after we finished recording last week, uh, news broke that there was a new casting announcement. Uh, Keely Hayes, Hawes, Hayes, Keely Hawes, Hawes. Okay, I didn't want to be offensive. It's Keely Hawes uh, is uh, playing a villain in uh, in the new series. And when I first saw her, her, there's a picture which I'm assuming her it's her character, and I don't know maybe it's it's the actress shot, but I, I'm assuming it's a character shot of her playing this this the character that she's going to be playing. Uh, to me, the first thing I thought it was Annie Potts, the character that she played in Ghostbusters, because uh, if you remember the Ghostbusters films, she had red hair and big glasses and um, and. She, she had this similar added like posture, you know, attitude. This uh, facial, not facial, well, facial, but um, 
body language, I should say. So, but I, that's, I, I, I mean, I, that's just me. I, <laughs> I, I don't know anything about right. the character that she's actually playing. No, she, uh, again, without going through, she, she reminds me a little bit of um, uh, the lady in the Adipoise one. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not saying it's the same storyline at all, but that sort of s- severely dressed, almost masculine suited woman. Yes. So the character name is Miss Del Fox? Yep. Okay. That's how I pronounce it anyway. Yeah, Del Fox. And uh, I don't know whether you want to read anything more about uh, the explanation of her character, but... Um, but we'll say it's she's appearing in the fifth episode. Uh, we don't have an episode title. It's it's written by Steve Thompson and, and uh, directed by Douglas McKinnon. McKinnon? McKinnon? McKinnon. McKinnon. It's a minefield, isn't it? You ought to see me when I'm doing my wine ones. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, um, I'm, just the, uh, I'm just reading. It was only six hours ago that this was posted. Ten years ago today, Christopher Eccleston was cast to play the Ninth Doctor. So, oh, okay. Uh, well, I'm assuming... Hats off to uh, to Christopher Eccleston and the Ninth Doctor. And, you know, it's... Uh, I know, um, you know, we're maybe a little disappointed that he didn't return for the 50th anniversary, but... You know, without him bringing the series back and, you know, um, really with with his presence and, um, you know, the, the series came back, you know, walking on its own two feet and not not crawling. And I think a lot of it is owed to um, to what Christopher Eccleston brought to the part. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just the timing of... The fact that he, you know, I think he'd only been there about three weeks and he was already going. And, of course, we didn't know there was going to be a solution to the, well, I suppose we did know there'd be a solution to the uh, number of regenerations the Doctor had left. But uh, it felt as though we were um, we were sort of wasting a regeneration. Although, uh, in fact, it's about time I revisited some of the Nine Doctor stories when I think about it. Yeah, it's I, it's still you know like we were just like we were just discussing before. It's hard to believe it's going to be almost ten years, you know. And it's wow. So uh, um, so let's see. Uh, anything more that we need that that we can say about Keely Hors, um and the character um, that she's playing? You know, she's playing a villain, Del Fox, and I don't think there's really much more. Well- we could Not say. really, but uh, just in, just in case people aren't making a connection uh, with that name, uh, they'll probably remember her as Alex Drake in Ashes to Ashes, uh, and she played Lady Agnes in Upstairs Downstairs, and that was the the return of Upstairs Downstairs, not the 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 older version. Um, and uh, she's com- currently playing the, uh, Detective Inspector Lindsay Denton in the second series of the BBC Two drama li- uh, Line of Duty. I still have to see Ashes to Ashes. I've, you know, obviously I've seen the Life <sighs> Life on Mars, and it's Ashes to Ashes was one of those things. That I'm, oh, I'll I'll get to it, and then I forgot about it, and I it's and and then when when it's like in a news item, like oh yeah, I wanted to watch that, and. Uh, so I, I'll have to like make a note and actually watch it, you know, because I did really enjoy life. You know, the, the, the I'm talking about the UK version now, just to be clear, <laughs> the Life right. on Mars uh, series. 
Yeah, well, so that, that ran for two series. Uh, Ashes to Ashes ran for three series. Wow. And together, they're obviously... Uh, I won't make any spoilers about it other than the fact that they share the same universe. The events take place, you know, a number of years after uh, Life on Mars. Mm-hmm. But still in the past. Okay. And I'm not going to say anything more because it's just too dangerous. <laughs> so uh, if you haven't guessed by our opening clip before, in this later in this episode, we'll be reviewing the, the second previously lost story of Patrick Troughton that was uh, recently discovered, The Web of Fear, which, um, which actually is notable for various different reasons, but probably most notable is that it... Um, introduces the character Lethbridge, Lethbridge Stewart, um, Alistair Lethbridge Stewart, who uh, you know we know as the Brigadier, but this was before he was a Brigadier, and um, and be, and it short, sort of lays down the the foundation for unit stories to come. So, and I, I think that will serve as a good segue to uh, the next news item, which is a um, now a, a unit. Fanual now is this like an annual event <laughs> by fans? Is I that... think it's uh, it's not it's obviously not official. Unit Fanual is in the pipeline. Entitled titled the Unit Fanual nineteen seventy four, the setting will be the near future following the end of the Doctor's exile on Earth, with the stories showing how the organization is coping uh, without his help as scientific advisor. Uh, so um, that that's the background to it. Uh, in the writer's guidelines, the editors, uh, Scott Burdett and, uh, oh, Shaki uh, Le Visconti. Uh, and that's as near as I'm going to get. So, Well, I guess there's... But the so- main... The- oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, the main characters, it says underneath the Brigadier Leftbridge Stewart, Captain Yates, Sergeant Benton, Joe Grant, Corporal Bell, uh, Sergeant Osgood... And Dr. Harry Sullivan. So is this a video, like a fan video that um, that's being produced? It's actually a f- fanual, so it's, I think is it's it a publication? an evolving thing. It's a, it's a publication. It, it, so it's a... Um, publication. Okay, just, I wanted to just to clarify that in my own head. Yeah, story pictures should be sent to fanual dot, uh, at outlook.com. So, yes, that, that's the thing, but you never know with these things. Uh, they, they, they evolve. So it takes place in 1974, which is now, this is kind of controversial because during the unit years, uh, with the, during the Pertry era, um, it, it was thought of that, that would, it took place like 10 years um, later than the, the actual shooting time. So uh, because it was uh, considered that unit had certain things that, that would uh, technology-wise, that would push it uh, ahead ten years. So that's why uh, Elizabeth Sladen. I don't know. I'm trying to remember what story it was. But at one point, uh, she, you know, she mentions she's from 1980, and uh, and this kind of is a um, discontinu- discontinuity because later, because uh, okay. yeah. then in Mordred Undead. We meet up with the brigadier who supposedly retired in 1977. So if he retired in 1977 and, you know, Elizabeth Sladen playing um, Sarah Jane Smith. Sarah Jane. Yeah. Obviously, 
she can't be from 1980 if he retired in 77. So th- there's a bit of a um, discontinuity there, but it's not the only discontinuity in Doctor Who, of course, but uh, it's it's one of the prominent ones, I think. And, and of course, this won't be canon. So uh, in, in effect, you know, it, it um, I suppose it can stand alone. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Matt Smith, there's a little bit of Matt Smith news. I mean, all right, he may no longer be uh, the Doctor, but I suppose you could argue um, that uh, he still has his fan base and still people want to know what's happening. He's, um, we know from the lodger he likes playing football. He himself, as well as the, the Doctor character, of course. Matt Smith to play for England in Soccer Aid uh, 2014. Matt Smith will be playing uh, football for England when he takes part in this year's Soccer Aid. Hmm. He'll be facing former nemesis in the shape of my, Martin uh, Michael Sheen. Sorry, and Of course, uh, Michael Sheen was the voice of the Sinister House in the Doctor's Wife episode. Oh, okay. All right. Very interesting. Um, and then I guess the last bit of news is... Um well, there was some news that I was going to mention that we're, we're, we're not sure whether to discount, uh, but um, this was the um, the Royal Television Society Awards here in the UK, um, and it, it, it mainly refers to Broadchurch and the actual information here, but um, uh, lots of things like uh, Edris Elba named as best actor for BBC Once, Luther, and uh, so on and so forth, and... Uh, uh, Olivia Coleman from from Broadchurch, uh, but it does also mention James Corden, who from that uh, episode I was mentioning just a moment ago, uh, uh, the lodger, uh, James Corden and uh, Matthew uh, Bainton with Tom Baston won Best Comedy Writer for BBC Two, The Wrong Man's. So there's a very slight connection there with Doctor Who via James Corden. Oh, all right, okay. Well, I think that wraps up the news section here. Indeed. All right, well, we'll be right back with our review of The Web of Fear. This is Deborah Waffling, and you're listening to Doctor Who Podshot. So, as you know, in this episode of Doctor Who Podshock, we are viewing Doctor Who, The Web of Fear, the classic Patrick Troughton story that was lost and now recovered, at least mostly recovered all but one episode. But it's available now on um, both in iTunes and on DVD, and you can enjoy The Web of Fear. So now for our audiobook selection for this week, we're going back to the first story that the Doctor encounters the Great Intelligence. Now, well, I should say, yes, it's in the Doctor's timeline, it's the first encounter he has with the Great Intelligence, which returns in the Web of Fear. It's also the great... It's also the the first story that the Doctor encounters the Yeti as well. So, uh, let's go back to 1935. Well, that's the timeline in Tibet, in which the Doctor, the second Doctor, played by Patrick Troughton, meets up with the English the English explorer Travers, played by Jack Watling, who's uh, Deborah Watling's um, 
father, playing a different character, though, playing uh, Professor Travers, who will return in The Web of Fear. So this is a prequel, but not really a prequel. This is just, it takes place uh, before that, uh, before Web of Fear. So Web of Fear is a sequel to this. And as you, you know, as I said, this is the first time that the Doctor encounters the Great Intelligence. But we'll, lear- we'll later learn, many, many years later, we'll learn that this is not the Great Intelligence first encounter with the Doctor. It's the Doctor's first encounter with the Great Intelligence, if you follow my meaning, my time um, <laughs> tracking here. So uh, without any further ado, uh, this is um, a selection that we're making for Audible. As you know, Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. If you've been listening to Dr. Hupachak, you know that's to be true. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from in all different genres, be it thrillers, business, romance, comedy, and of course, science fiction. For Doctor Who alone, they have over like 230 some odd titles of Doctor Who titles alone at this time, and that's constantly ex- expanding. So, Audible titles will play on your iPhone, Kindle, Android, and over 500 devices for listening anytime and anywhere. For you, listeners of Doctor Who Pachak, Audible is offering a free, yes, a free audiobook download. With a, with a free 30-day trial, so you have a chance to check out their service. Now, if you decide it's not for you, simply cancel and keep your free audiobook. Yes, it's yours to keep. So to download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podshock for your free audiobook. And I realize you may be driving or... You may not be able to go to that URL right now. That's okay. Go to podshock.net and you'll find links to it there as well. And our recommendation, for, and you don't have to pick this. This is just, we, we do this as a sort of like a, a service. Um, we pick something that, that might interest you, might be relevant to what we're doing on Doctor Who Podshock. And this selection is Doctor Who and the Abominable Snowmen. It's uh, by Marvin Hesman and Henry Lincoln. And it has linking narration by Fraser Hines, who plays Jamie in this story. Now, I say linking narration because it's actually the audio from the television uh, episodes. Now, unfortunately, this is one of the lost, still one of the lost stories. I know one episode exists. I'm not sure if there's any further episodes that have been recovered since since then. But I, I know uh, I, one does exist. But uh, it's a six-parter, and it's all lost but one episode. So, uh, again, it's... Um, is significant because the Great Intelligence does play a greater role later down in the series. Uh, it's the first encounter with the Yeti. Um, so let's hear a little bit from it right now. This is Doctor Who, the Abominable Snowman. Good Lord. Oh, I haven't seen that for years. Oh, that's a ganter then. No, 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 no. It's, uh, well, it, uh, whatever it is, uh, it's nice to see it again. Jamie has found a set of backpipes. Thank you. Come along, boy. Hey, Doctor, would you look at these? You never told me you had these. No, Jamie. Hey, well, I could fix those easily. Yes, I was afraid of that. Jamie, you're getting oh, as bad as the oh, Doctor. Come along. Help me find them. It would help us considerably if we knew what we were looking for. Danta! But what is it? Oh, what is it? You don't know. Oh, it's a bell. Oh, it's a bell, Jamie. Oh, a bell. Oh, well, now yes. we know what we're looking for. Yes, it's a Tibetan bell, actually, a, a holy relic. This one is quite small. It, it has a dragon on it. In fact, it has rather an interesting history. It was, oh, 
Ah, yes, I'll have that. <laughs> he brings out a huge fur coat. Yes, it's just the thing for this climate. Uh, you might as well find yourself something while you're about it. How do I look? Doctor, oh, you look beautiful. Yes, I thought I might. <laughs> I think I'll go and have a scout around. Now, you two find the bell. It's very important. <laughs> oh, but why do you want it? Because down there, it's going to guarantee us the welcome of a lifetime. Down there? Oh, don't ask me. When you've been with a doctor as long as I have, you begin to realize you don't know what he's talking about. Well, we better find this bell of his. Oh, wait a minute, Jamie. Hey, come and give us a hand. I want to see where the doctor's gone. Now, if I turn this to the left, should... Aha, that's it! Jamie extracts a large scimitar from the chest. Hey, now, would you look at this? Oh, that's marvellous. What... Hey, what's that? Where? Uh, a great sort of hairy beastie. But turn the thing back. Go to the right, I downwards. Am. That's it. There. there. A large fur-covered figure looms up on the screen. Oh, no. My mistake. A great hairy beastie. It's a doctor. <laughs> Out on the mountainside, tightly wrapped in his oversized fur coat, the doctor clambers over a crest and is afforded a spectacular view of some buildings nestling in the valley below. Yes. Ah, yes. In the TARDIS, Jamie has found a drawstring bag labelled Ganter of Detson Monastery. Monastery? Now, that'll be where he's gone. wonder why he wouldn't take us. Well, we can never tell with the doctor. Hey, just thought. Do they let lasses into monasteries? I don't know. I don't say that. Oh, never mind. I suppose he'll manage somehow. Hey, shall we open it? Oh, I don't think so. The doctor might not like it. Making his way back to the TARDIS, the Doctor notices something on the ground. He bends down to examine a vast footprint. From some way off, a shaggy figure watches from behind a tree. As the Doctor straightens up, the figure disappears. So once again, that could be your selection for your free audiobook. It doesn't have to be. You could choose whatever Audible has to offer as for your free selection. And we hope that you enjoy it. If you don't, you decide it's not for you, fine. You keep your free audiobook, no questions asked, and we go forward. So, um, again, to get your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash podshock. Uh, yes, <laughs> I'm just questioning myself there. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podshock for your free audiobook. Uh, you could also go to podshock.net you could also go to podshock.net for your for a link as well if if that URL is too hard to remember but it's audibletrial.com/podshock for your free audiobook some sort of grill well oh, do say you landed is in a prison could be the dungeons of a castle. So dark. Ah, steps. Come on, be careful. Yes. Seems to be a large room. Tiled walls. Curved ceiling. Come on. seems to end here. It's a sort of trench. Look. Hey, Doctor, come and look at this. What have you found, Victoria? Hmm? See for yourself. 
Covent Garden. Oh, yes, of course. It's an underground station. We're standing on the platform. Underground station? Mm, trains, underground trains. A little after your time, I think, Victoria. Is it always as dark as this? No, no, no. It's probably the middle of the night. Come along, let's go up top. There'll be lots of life up there. Funny, isn't it? What? How do you keep on landing on your earth? I love that line. Funny, isn't it? How we always landing on your earth. <laughs> uh, good line there. So, uh, as you can tell, we're going to be reviewing the the Web of Fear, which is um, if you if you were listening to our last episode of Doctor Who Podcast, we reviewed the Enemy of the World, and uh, this picks up. This story picks up right where that left off. But before. We go into our review of it, as always. I need to remind everyone. Spoilers. Spoilers. Again. Spoilers. 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 All right, so there will be spoilers if you haven't seen this 1968 story, which many people haven't because it's been lost for so long. But it's now it's back. It's available via iTunes and it's available via DVD now for those uh, you know that that don't want to go the iTunes route or didn't go that route. So you can have it on DVD, which uh, Dave has. I have the iTunes version, and I think I, I probably um, will be correct in saying in assuming that just like the Enemy of the World, there's not much in the form of extras on the DVD at this point. No, there are, there, there's not really. Um, there's an available now trailer, and that's about it. Uh, but it is uh, uh, an excellent copy, um, and of course, most people will know that uh, there is still one episode that is not uh, has not been yes. found. So yeah. it's a six episode story, um, and uh, we may get into to how and and what they did with that episode at some point. But, uh, yeah, right at the beginning of the this podcast, um, we we heard the continuation from mm-hmm. the end of the last story with the, with the you know, the TARDIS doors open uh, and uh, uh, Jamie managing to close it. Uh, but um, with Salamander uh, lost out of the TARDIS. And then um, uh, before the clip that we you just heard there, we actually... Um, we, we re-meet um, Professor Travers, who, who was in the Abominable Snowman, mm-hmm. and that's referred to a number of times uh, at another gentleman's house, uh, Julius Silverstein, and um, his daughter arrives to fetch him because um, we have this stuffed yeti. It looks like a giant brown bear yeti that's immobile and not moved for years. And, of course... Um, that's where the whole thing uh, gets underway because um, there's this um, there are these control spheres, and I'd forgotten about the fact that they are they actually fitted inside the the yetis because the yetis are not actual creatures. The yetis are indeed robots. Yes, yes. And now these the yeti that we see here are Mark II yetis. They redesigned them, and I, I think they were. Uh, I might. This is my own speculation: is that they were redesigned so that the actors inside of them could see out better. Because if you notice, they have like these like dark areas on the faces, which probably you know allows them to look through. Um, 
No, the Mark IIs weren't ready Yeti when they did the first ones. <laughs> and we should uh, clarify that the Abominable Snowman takes place some 40 years earlier in this timeline in Tibet, 1935. So... Uh, you know that was the introduction int- introduction of the great intelligence which returns in this in this story uh, the, the, for those perhaps newer fans that may not have been familiar with this older stuff you were introduced to the great intelligence probably more recently with the uh, um the matt smith um the, the not the most recent christmas special but the the one before that um in 2012 right and then, obviously, if, you, if you've seen the last series, it plays a significant part in a couple of those stories. Yeah, the, 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 the Abominable Snowman story uh, was um, preceded by the Tomb of the Cybermen and followed by the Ice Warriors. Uh, and it was a story with Victoria in because um, both Jamie and Victoria. And, of course, as this uh, story unfolds... Um, uh, there's there's a little bit of amazement for uh, the professor's daughter um, when she realizes how young uh, Victoria is, uh, because they they're aware of this adventure that had happened before. But there's quite a lot of uh, strange um, ways that people are behaving. There's quite a lot of uh, uh, red herrings going on in this story in terms of um, the way different people perform to the camera in terms of uh, you know slightly uh, uh, defensive remarks are um, you know covert uh, things that they're doing and um, and even I dare I say it or unfortunately his first appearance other than his foot of the uh, Colonel Lethbridge Stewart is in this this episode that has just been reconstructed, which is a pity, really. But um, yeah. even the the um, the uh, Lethbridge Stewart is under some sort of suspicion because he seems to appear from nowhere. He's just been assigned, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, uh, and it's a little bit of uh, it's a little bit of uh, a detective story in a way because uh, quite a few of the uh, the characters seem to be um, uh, under suspicion in that sort of sense. Uh, and the reason what under suspicion for what you say, well, of course, you've seen the story if you're listening to this uh, podcast, um, that uh, the intelligence uh, makes use of people's bodies, takes them over and use them as um, uh, a way of uh, either communicating mm-hmm. or, or, or doing something in that sense. So uh, there's a lot of um, suspicious looks cast in different directions uh, to the... Um, the um, the news band that's there, the one that got nominated to 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 uh, do the yes. the news, um, which, which the s- staffs, which gone. he's a TV reporter, but it doesn't have. He's only, he's only using an audible and uh, not an audible, <laughs> an audio. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not to be confused with <laughs> an audio uh, recorder. You know, you would think if he's if he's a TV journalist that he would actually have someone else there with a video camera, but that's not the case. So it's um, just I'm just making a, an uh, observation there. But but um, but I, I agree I agree with what you said though that it's such a shame that episode three is in in the six episodes here is the one that still miss is the one that that only exists in stills and fragments it's still one of the missing episodes and it's also the one that introduces 
Lethbridge Stewart, the character of Lethbridge Stewart, you know, uh, obviously played by Nicholas Courtney. And um, it should also be noted that this isn't Nicholas Courtney's first outing in Doctor Who. He was he played a um, another character um, before this. Um, what was it? Um, Brian, I forget the the character's yeah. name. Um, something with a B. But anyway. Uh, which was a it was a William Hartnell story actually, but here right. he uh, um, um, yeah uh, there was a lot he he was considered for the role of Richard Lionheart in the Crusade, uh, Brett, uh, which went Brett to John Glover. Brett, Brett Vion is uh, right. is uh, and that's the Daleks' master plan is what he um, originally appeared in. But like I said, this is the the first time that the Brigadier appears. And unfortunately, it's a missing episode, but at least we have the audio and some stills and, and the rest of the story is still is now intact. But um, maybe one day we'll have episode three. You never know. Yeah, and he wasn't actually due to play. I mean, he was supposed to be playing, I think, um, uh, Captain Knight was the original uh, thing that he had. That was what he was cast for. Hmm. Uh, some other casting, yeah. uh, interesting bits of casting is that uh, Jack Walton, who plays Professor Travers, is the actual real-life father of Deborah Watling, who plays Victoria, uh, the Doctor's companion in this story as well. So uh, there's uh, that relationship there. And um, and as I also, John Levine is in this, but he, you wouldn't see him if you're looking for John Levine. He, he's in this. He's he's in this story, but you won't see him because he's a yeti. He, he has this yes. is this is uh, he has not yeti begin Benton yet. So he's. I, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I think also this marks the de- debut of producer uh, Peter Bryant because um, Ian Lloyd's produced the last story, which we reviewed, The, the Enemy of the World. Right. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things like this. And um, yeah, just uh, ought to say that uh, when this aired um, between uh, 3rd of Feb and 9th of March in 68, as you mentioned, uh, viewer figures were very strong and actually increased 7.2 million st- Drops like 6.8, then 7 million, then 8.4 for episode 4, 8 million for episode 5, 8.3 million uh, for episode 6. Um, all over 24 minutes, almost 25 minutes long each episode. Hmm. Yeah. And um, again, we, I think we talked uh, in the last story about... Uh, Holidays and, uh, and episodes uh, where you know some cast members were 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 not as um, you know not uh, so much yes. in the episode. Yes. Uh, uh, Patrick Trout took a week's holiday during the rehearsals and recording of episode two, so yeah, he not... only appears in the reprise from episode one. Yeah, because I, I had mentioned also in our last recording, our last episode, and I might have been getting. I, I had said that when we were reviewing Enemy of the World that, um, you know, I had mentioned that Jamie, um, that Fraser Hines and, um, and Deborah Watling were, were missing on one episode. Uh, I think it was maybe three or, or four, whatever that was in last, in, in the last story. And I also mentioned that Patrick Fountain wasn't in an episode and I might've been mistaken. It might've, I might've been thinking of the web of fear, but since I, you know, you watch them back to back and sometimes you might, um, <laughs> get confused so i apologize if i misspoke there but he's he's not in episode two here because he's on holiday 
He needed a, a the, breath a, a breath of air after playing two characters in the last six-parter. <laughs> right, indeed. Uh, and uh, the Doctor's first meeting, therefore, with Lethbridge Stewart takes place off screen. But um, it was David Langton originally cast as Lethbridge Stewart. He pulled out for rehearsals and Nicholas Courtney, as I said, uh, originally cast as Captain Knight, was given the part. Now imagine if if that wasn't the case, we would. Um, who knows if you know if Nick, Nicholas Courtney would um, ever be back? You know, right? Or, well, I think um, uh, John Levine has spoken at length, and I think he's spoken to you uh, and a number of times. I mean, uh, yes. start him up, wind him up, and <laughs> stick a mic in front of him, and 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 there you've got a podcast. Um, but well, he was very lucky, really, to to get cast later yeah. in his, his uh, main role. Well, we'll see uh, Nicholas Courtney return as Lethbridge Stewart in The Invasion, which, uh, was, which is really the, uh, the first time that we see Unit as well. The, and, and this sort of kind of lays down the groundwork of what's to come with Unit, you know, so, you know, in this story. Yeah. I noticed as well, I mean, we, we talked about uh, in the last story about how they're moving to 625 lines uh, and how a number of scenes in that were filmed. Well, there's quite a, there's actually quite a few, um, um, well, stage scenes. I can't think of any better way of putting it. I mean, there's, a, there's above ground, there's one quite drawn out sequence where they're actually fighting with the Yeti on the London, deserted London streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are another other ones where for some reason they, they want to bring in stuntmen or whatever. Uh, and so there are about three or four film sections in there. Mm-hmm. And there's even a little model shot or a couple of model shots where they're having this sort of, um, uh, fungusy yeah. uh, um, ooze foggy, that's uh, yeah. coming from yeah, 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 that's coming, and uh, we have this sort of spider's web that uh, that, that uh, overtakes things, and of course, uh, again, uh, keeps the TARDIS out of the storyline in a way because the, sto- the TARDIS is unreachable uh, mm-hmm. for most of this. Yeah, but but there's some very memorable characters in it. Um, do you want to play us another clip and yes. move us into the story a bit? And then I, w- we'll- I was just going to suggest the same. Speaking of TARDIS... Ah, Sergeant, the Doctor, is he all right? They weren't killed in the explosion, if that's what you mean. Oh, thank heavens. For the simple reason that there weren't no explosion. What? Somebody tampered with it. My guess is it's this Doctor fella. What rot, Arnold? That Doctor's a friend of mine. Well, he's, he's the one man that can help us. Oh, is he now? Well, he weren't nowhere to be seen. It disappeared. Do you think the Yeti got him? No. What makes you so sure? I don't know. Just a hunch. Hey, wait a minute. Where do you think you're going? He may be lying injured. No, we'd have found him, unless you know where he is. I might. Take me to him, could you? Aye. Right, well, come on, lad. Flies through time and space? Not exactly fly. It's difficult to explain. Not half as difficult as it is to believe. Your father believes it. Yes. Yes, he seems to. And and you met him, when was it, you said? In in 1935? In Tibet, yes. You couldn't possibly have. You're no older than... You seem to know about the Tibet business. Why didn't my father tell anyone about this doctor friend of yours and his TARDIS? You're his daughter, and even you find it difficult to believe. How would other people react? 
What what I noticed was interesting is that when Lethbridge Stewart does appear and he does overhear the Doctor talk about the TARDIS and um, and and see, and you know sees this as a way that he could use this uh, this ship you know to his advantage you know to, for the situation that they're in uh, it just seemed like the the brigadier well he wasn't the brigadier then uh, that Lethbridge Stewart was a little bit more accepting to the idea of the doctor's TARDIS than he is later on when we see him like because um, he was always a little skeptical you know what's the doctor doing with unit funds and that TARDIS that confounded contraption of his and uh, you know he, he, he doesn't you know initially he doesn't really believe well- that the TARDIS can do whatever it does. But here he seems a little bit more accepting. Well, no, I don't think it's... I think that's one of the red herrings. I think this ah. the idea is, first of all, when the, the, the actor who plays the driver, the one who seems to be yes. a bit of a feckless mm-hmm. bloke and yeah. who scurries off, uh, you know, he says, I was... Oh, and the, and the, big, um, and the colonel goes, oh, oh, you are well, all right. And I've just arrived. And, and there's this sort of throwing suspicion on him somewhat. There's a couple of... Uh, it, it reminded me of... Now, I don't know what the politically correct name of it is because this film has changed names there's been two or three versions of it um but uh, i think one version was called 10 little indians mm-hmm. um uh, an old john houston uh, you know where all these people go to an island and one by one they get bumped off um it's had a, a few different titles that story um, it's one where on a table there's a, these little models and each morning they go there and another model's been broken and somebody else has died a horrible death. Uh, but there's lots of these where three or four of them in the room and they're each looking over the shoulder and suspecting the others. And, and, and I got a, a definite feeling of that. Um, but um, the, other, the other interpretation that you could go with is that um, he's already not just a... Um, um, a colonel in the sense of, you know, a, a uniformed soldier, but he's already being recruited in terms of sort of, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, cloak and dagger in the army sort of thing. And maybe already knows about off-world things. They may not know about the doctor, but but as though he's read some, you know, um, secret, top-secret documents because he's certainly not phased by hearing about, you know, he doesn't dismiss it out of hand, as you said. But I think the other reason for it is to 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 throw suspicion. Maybe he's working with the great intelligence, because if he worked with the great intelligence, he would know that there were other off-world intelligences. If mm-hmm. you follow my reasoning, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we have, I mean, we we have a, a few things. I mean, uh, the 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 driver guy, uh, Driver Evans, played by Derek Pollitt. Uh, I thought he was good comedy relief and uh, and great. Uh, he has this tin where the doctor's uh, got some of the the webbing to analyse, and the doctor's got all these gloves on. He's got it in a little glass, <laughs> yeah. you know, in containment thing, uh, and it's empty. So you know, you're looking at him a bit suspicious. And also, he's the one that hands the doctor this. They look like little chess pieces of yes. Yeti, yeah, they're, and they're mm-hmm. like the homing devices. Uh, so he gets hit, and then. There's the um, the in in, in that uh, clip you just played the 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 sergeant staff sergeant Arnold played by Jack Walgar, uh, a very old uh, uh, British uh, character actor. What else has he been in? He's been in an episode of The Avengers, and Sweeney. Uh, not a great deal. Unfortunately, he died at age sixty four. 
So he died just 10 years after this year. Apparently he was often used as, um, you know, a tramp or a vagabond in, mm-hmm. in, in you know, uh, little cameo roles because um, he, he, had, he did have chest issues. But um, there's, you know, when they said, well, why do you think that? Why do you think he's done that? He says, oh, just, just think it. So uh, there's suspicion thrown against him, especially when he turns up after being um, entrapped in that, that webbing himself and um, so there's an awful lot of sort of um, you know suspicion thrown around and I must admit even though I'd seen this uh, originally I was trying to remember you know who it was but of course uh, in, in a sense it wasn't one because more than one was taken over at one uh, one uh, time because yeah. there's one cliffhanger there's one cliffhanger where the um, the, the professor himself has been taken but one mm-hmm. last thing I'm just saying, Anne, back to you, and that is that little clip there with uh, Victoria talking to um, Anne Travers, the professor's, uh, who was playing the professor talking, and she's talking to her, and she is his real daughter, as you said. Yes. It's quite a nice little thing there. Not much, I haven't found much about Tina Packer. Um, uh, she was in Two a Penny, uh, Praise Marks and Pass the Ammunition, um, not a great amount. That Two a Penny, by the way, was a, a, a program she's in with Cliff Richards in 1970. But um, haven't seen a lot. Oh, she was in David Copperfield uh, TV series uh, playing Dorothy Spenlow. It's a strong character. She does. Uh, uh, she does very well with the oh. character um, in this. Aunt, playing Anne Travers, you know, the professor's daughter. And I think. It's, um, Another strong female character, which is good to see, you know, in in, in the 1960s. Absolutely, in the scientists, because there's a, there's a lovely little scene where um, the doctor's uh, admiring her work that she's she's provide uh, because the, the, they have to control the sphere because if they can control the sphere and then get it back into a yeti, uh, then they can control the yeti. And he's admiring her work, and then. Um, a little bit when he, she's explaining, he's explaining to her how they can sort of cross the wires, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's sort of ahead of him a little bit. A little bit uh, a Liz Shaw-like character almost, yes, would you say. Yeah. How did you get in, sir? Hoban, ammunition party. Got badly beaten up. All the men dead, I'm afraid. Not all. Evans managed to escape. Evans? The driver. Oh, yes. Evans didn't mention any other survivors. No, well, it all got a bit confused. Driven into a side tunnel myself. After that, got a bit lost and then found this doctor. Yes, I was wondering when you were going to get around to me. Yes, well, the professor's spoken for him. We do know a little about the doctor already. I see. In fact, more than you do about me, eh? To tell you the truth, sir, yes. Doctor! Good my dear fellow, am I glad to see you. I'm glad it is. This has been a long time. <laughs> professor, I'm told you know this man. Well, I thought that was obvious. Well, if it comes to that, are you? Colonel Lethbridge Stewart, new CEO. Uh, so you can vouch for the doctor. Well, of course I can. And what about this girl? Oh, uh, she's on my staff. There are lots to do, Doctor. Time's running short. Need your help. Uh, Captain Knight, I'll take him straight down to the lab. Now, come on, Doctor. You better come too, Victoria. Oh, no, the is getting a bit desperate, but yes, I've got an idea. It would seem that the professor's in charge down here, Captain. Yes, well, he does have a job to do, sir. I think it's best to let him get on with it. Don't you? Hmm... So that goes to mm. some of the suspicion that mm. is going around. Yeah. yeah. And it also refers to the fact that they met off 
off camera, as it were. Uh, but yes, as you say, uh, they're all dead. I mean, when, when there's only one survivor, you wonder whether the one that survived is the one that yes, killed all the others, don't true. you? Well, you know, it, it sort of has a little echo of what's to come with, um, um, uh, what's that movie? Um, uh, um, the Thing, you know, where if, if you saw The Thing... Oh, uh, the, uh, the Arctic one, is it? The, yeah, the, like the 1982 version of The Thing, where everyone's sort of suspicious of each other, and, they, and here they're, they're sort of trapped in this Arctic base. And here... Um, another thing that you know that, that you could say about the the web of fear is that it's it's a little claustrophobic because um, with some exceptions it mostly takes place in the in the underground the, the train systems on you know in, in the underground so it's it's dark and it's cramped and it's um, so it's it has this um, almost a you know a feel of alien to it you know where and um, and what's traditionally known during the Troughton era as, you know, the, the base under siege <laughs> um, type of storytelling. So um, actually I thought, it, you know, I, I appreciated some of the scenes that took place on the surface with the Yeti, you know, um, attacking only, only just to get some fresh air and get out of the, the underground. But um, I thought maybe it might've been better if there were a little bit more, if you, if they were to mix it up a little bit more and have a little more scenes that were shot above ground, because, after okay normally you probably wouldn't watch you know six episodes in a row but after you know watching six episodes one after another you start feeling a little claustrophobic yourself but maybe I mean, that's well, could be part of what the story is about yeah well, well I've got a few follow-ups to that i mean first of all doesn't it make you realize how brilliant the title the web of fear was because we we've got this sort of the mm, crisscross of yes. all the underground stations that's a web we've got the web that i mean like uh, in the clip where the explosion didn't go off that was because the yeti where, where all that dynamite and that was on the the platform and the doctor was hiding underneath it uh, they sort of use this gun that sort of sprays this uh, spider-man type super strong webbing uh, at, which contains the explosion or neutralizes the explosion there is no explosion and non-explosion um, and then there's the web of fear in terms of the web of psychological uh, fear so that, so that's one point secondly i think they were very brave to go out in the daylight because um, and again, this looked very good quality. I mean, I seem to remember thinking one of the my memory was that one of the weak points of this story was the uh, you know the the not realistic look of the Yeti. But mm -hmm. of course, then you have to take into account well, they're not supposed to be realistic animals because they are robots. Yeah. So. The, you know, the movement, that's okay. But to bring them out in the open daylight, as you said, I mean, really, they stood up well in that daylight. So the, the, the suits worked work really well. Uh, and thirdly, of course, um, there was all that uh, talk about, um, uh, the, there were some phone calls going that um, they, they were concerned, uh, at the underground, that the, uh, the BBC might have gone in and done some filming in the underground without being, getting any permissions because of the, the, the quality of the, you know, the tunnel layout that they'd done. Mm. Um, I mean, the, to me, the lines looked a little bit too near together. Remember, of course, when you have the underground lines, there's three rails. There's the two two rails that the wheels run on, sure, and, and then, then there's the, this the line. third line with the power. Yeah, yeah. Which of course we had that very 
frightening scene quite early on where, you know, the, the, the James says, come on, Doctor, and he jumps off, <laughs> he jumps off the platform. And the Doctor says, freeze, 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 you know. And, uh, you know, 50,000 volts could have gone through him at that point. But I, I, I thought, um, as corridors go... They did it pretty well in terms of, you know, the walking along a few yards and then, you know, the, the, the brigadier would... Uh, sorry, the colonel left his shoot would stop and say, there's something ahead, and then, they, oh, then they, they see somebody. So I thought that worked reasonably well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a way, lots of similarities with last week's um, storyline in as much as they were crisscrossing the world in, uh, in rocket, rockets and hyperjets, although you never actually saw them. Uh, we did have a, quite a bit of toing and froing in this, but we had a nice ensemble. I mean, it, it was a little bit of a dad's army. I mean, they looked a little bit old, some of these, um, <laughs> you know, officers. Yeah. But um, other than that, I, I thought um, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I mean, there was basically the the staff sergeant was the you know the old sergeant, and he was mm-hmm. he was more concerned, you know, about you know. Uh, Tipping his cap to the officers and calling them idiots behind the back, uh, but more more concerned with his men about malingerers and you know people trying to cry off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but I, I thought it, it it's a good cast. Good. Yeah, uh, a good characters um, and um, uh, uh, just a, a little tidbit of um, information here that that might be kind of spoilery if, if you're not a, a fan of the the Six Million Dollar Man, but. There's uh as as Dave had mentioned that the Yeti are actually robots and uh, the cousin of the Yeti might one might say is, is Sasquatch or Bigfoot and when um, going to the Six Million Dollar Man which is a um, an American television show that 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 features um, um, a cyborg well I'm, you, I'm sure you're probably familiar with it if you listen to this I'm sure you have some vague reference to the series. So when they meet up with I'm running slowly in my chair. <laughs> so when when he does in, you're all right. when he does meet up with Bigfoot, it turns out that Bigfoot is spoiler alert, is a robot. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah. yeah, I remember a Quantum Leap episode where he met Sasquatch as well. I'm sure, but um, no, I, I I I think this is. Th- I mean, again, you can argue six episodes. Really, they spun it out for six episodes, but it didn't feel spun out to me. Uh, yeah, I, it's, I I thought that it was a little slower paced than the last story, but I think that's um, was conducive to this type of storytelling. It was more. Um, it, it this was more eerie. This is um, like I said, even. Um, it, it, it kind of foreshadows, like um, like I mentioned before, Alien and, and the Thing, and um, you know it had, you know, you don't know what's going to be turning. You know, when, when you turn the corner, what's going to be there? They were fighting the the Yeti, and then there's this foam fungus thing that they were fighting that was that actually um, you know uh, left an actual web. That you know, that we, speaking of the allegory of webs, there was an actual you know th- that type of web too. Um, interesting at the end credits, you know, uh, you would see that, I guess it was supposed to be a representation of that, that fungus, um, during the end credits of each episode. Um, right. And, and I now, guess Captain Knight, 
Welcome. And I was just speaking of credits. I just wanted, just before we forget, because we'd be remiss by not saying um, that it was directed by Douglas Cranfield. Cranfield. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have gotten very little sleep, so I do apologize for me um, muffing up a lot today. But Douglas Cranfield, and it's written by um, Mer- um, Mervin Hasman and Henry Lincoln. Right. Uh, what I was going to just mention there is that. Um, the um, the Captain Knight, the, the 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 person who was going to be played by uh, you know um, uh, Nicholas Courtney uh, was actually played by a Ralph Watson. Now, if you remember when we were talking about last week's episode, we were talking about one of the uh, actors actually uh, have been in the um, the oh crikey, get it right himself going. You're doing it to me. You're doing it to it's me. It's my fault. Um, uh, the horror Frank Rock. Uh, remember the uh, yes, the actor um, Donald uh, Colin uh, Douglas who played Ru- he, Yeah, he, no, Colin Douglas had played Rubin, but in this uh, Ralph Watson, who um, he played um, as I say the sergeant in this, uh, uh, sorry, played Captain Knight, was also in Horror Frank Rock, uh, where he played Ben in that. So uh, that's another mm-hmm. connection yeah. with uh, where, with that story. He was also in uh, the Monster Peladon, right? <laughs> Which, of course, was played by Patrick Troughton's son. Yes, <laughs> was, uh, I was going to say that, but I didn't hail back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I won't hold back on this. Strange, it's not picking up. The intelligence must be transmitting. I don't know why it's not working. <laughs> Success! It's going on. Oh, oh that's marvellous. Hello. I'm sorry I'm being so long. This is such a fiddling job. Help you in a minute. There we are. Now then. Yes, you see, it's homing. <clears throat> there we are. Fairly strongly. Watch out! Careful! Oh, shut the door! It's working! The speed is working! Never mind about that. Why? What's happened? We tried to get out of the surface door, but the fungus is there. Well, I'm not surprised. I thought the intelligence would try to hem us in. Yes, unfortunately, it's gone into HQ. What? But don't worry. I managed to get a fire door closed. Should hold it. I hope you're right. Come on, Anne. We must get to work. Doctor, mm. tell me this sphere of yours. Exactly how is it going to help us? Well, the sphere itself, it won't. Hey? No. But it will help us to test the control box. Is that all? All? You mean to say you've wasted all this time just... Wasted? We haven't been wasting our time. Well, I think you have. Must agree with the boy, Doctor. You don't seem to have achieved very much. Colonel, if you left us alone, we'd get along a lot quicker. No? Mm. Oh, very well. Come on, McCrimmon, we'll leave them to it. <laughs> well, I, I love the Doctor's tinkering throughout this whole, you know, th- story. He's, uh, uh, he makes some sort of contraction um, in the TARDIS initially, and... Here, you know, he's he's tinkering with that, with that sphere, and um, later on, it's revealed that um, you know at the climax that he had crossed the wires when the great intelligence was um, was going to um, you know absorb him. He was going to actually absorb it, and uh, so uh, the doctor's really at his uh, uh, you know playing his at his game, playing um, you know tinkering and and um, toying with um, stuff here. Right. Uh, yeah, the, I mean that was where he had this sort of um, this uh, sort of 
cap that, uh, well, this thing, this thing on his head, and then he was going to go into the pyramid that we are now occupying as we do this podcast, um, <laughs> which was a little bit, a little cramped, a little bit, um, <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit cramped, wasn't it? It was a little bit, uh, uh, but uh, no, um, I liked it. I, I, one of the other things. Just again, I've got to keep going back to uh, uh, Colonel Lethbridge Stewart. Um, fairly f- well formed character in a way, because mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's not exactly five fra- five rounds rapid, but he, he's got his hand pistol out pretty uh, sharpish, hasn't he? Um, uh, when when they're above ground in that scene that you were talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. You and, definitely and, see and quite see yeah. what the, what the brigadier is going to be. It's definitely in it's in you know it's in this character in the beginning. You know, absolutely. So um, one of the things that amazed me, and um, I suppose it refers to last week as well, is that um, I, I was looking a little bit about Fraser Hines because, of course, Fraser Hines uh, is sixty nine now, but he was only twenty three in this episode. I mean. So he's born in 1944, but September 94, so he wouldn't have been mm-hmm. 24 yeah. until six months after. So he's only 23, and he'd already been in a number of stories by now. I, I always, I mean, I always thought of him as sort of a little bit older than that, you know, but playing younger, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hadn't realised he was he, he was quite so so young. Uh, I mean, he was only twenty-one, obviously, when uh, in in sixty-three. Uh, yeah, no, he so I mean, he, he does amazing. an excellent job as um, you know Jamie McCrimmon. He he really sells the part quite convinc- convincingly. Uh, and uh, Deborah Watlin's only uh, uh, not twenty here because um, uh, her birthday is also in September. Um, uh, sorry, no, January. So she would she would have just turned twenty uh, when filming this, which is amazing to me. Mm. Yeah, it's his, the doctor's two young companions. Right, right. So um, I think I don't got, know where where we are in terms. We've, of... We've got one more on, clip, and then I guess we'll do our our, our oh. overall summary. Okay. Okay. I look like you're scared. That's understandable. But you've been in the army long enough to know that orders is orders. There's four people up there. If we don't warn them, they're for the chop. So? Four of us getting the chop? There's no reason to make it six, is there? Why, I don't feel lit for one day. Now, come on, follow me! Evans! Come back here! Look on your belly! Cheer your stuff! Right, lad! I'll get you for this! Hey! Stop. Come back here. Stop. And I've been thinking, until we know who else is working for the intelligence, mm-hmm. everyone must be suspect. Yes. Well, the fewer people who know this chap's on our side, the better. Yes, yes, and, and whoever is the intelligence is bound to know that you're controlling this yeti. Mm. I know. <clears throat> You are to remain here for... Do not a minute will be enough? For us to get clear. Perhaps. You are to remain here for, for 90 seconds and then resume acting on orders from the intelligence until you are told otherwise. Is that understood? 
<laughs> right. Switch off for 90 seconds, starting from now. There we go. The 90 seconds. Don't switch off. We're still going. <laughs> <laughs> A few things there. I mean, I was gets me when I mean in that scene where where he's saying, you know, we never know who we can trust. Nearly every film you ever see, you, the, the one person that, that you know that they'll say, say, well, you know, only report back to me. You know, we don't know who in the organisation can trust. So they say to the hero, somebody, somebody in the office says to the hero, only report back to me because we don't know who we can trust. And the one person he, he reports back to, of course, is the one that's sort of got him on a lead. Uh, and when this, when the when the uh, the professor's daughter says that, you know, she makes me think. Well, the intelligence bound to know that someone's controlling this. Just thinking, oh, that's a bit, uh, you know. Clever of her to think that's up. Maybe she's <laughs> she's the one that's. No, I, I don't mean in league voluntarily, but being you know being controlled mm-hmm. by intelligence. And, and one last thing for the for any UK listeners that way he says uh, where the sergeant uh, staff sergeant shouts after that, uh, you know the driver Evans is. I'll get you. Uh, uh, I keep thinking of uh, on the buses in the UK. I'll get you, Butler. <laughs> where he used to shout at Reg Varley. You know that. Did you ever watch that? No. I said, I suppose you saw no, I on the buses. Uh, it was a it was a catchphrase. I'll get you for that, butler. Because you used to always play pranks on him. But um, no, um, really good scenes and um, some quite frightening bits in it. Uh, should I give my wrap up sure, first or yeah. not? I did it last time, so I'll let you go well, first this time. Um. I'm trying to decide which of this, whether it's this story or last week's story that I enjoyed the most. I think the other story had more to it. Now, maybe that was because there was more Patrick Troughton and there was more a slightly unusual plot and it was based in the future and uh, uh, it was great to see Bill Kerr and and some other actors on it, some of the ones that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that was probably a more important episode but, yeah, I think this was a much more typical Doctor Who episode. So, for that reason, uh, people who had not seen, you know, some of the classic stories from this period, they may rate this one higher because this, you know, y- you can put this like with a Silurian story, can't you? Um, you know, coming back to sure, the yeah. are uh, so, Something like that. It's... it's um, even though these are robots and not an actual race of people. Uh, and, of course, because of the connections from the uh, going back to the snowmen, uh, the Christmas story and so on, mm-hmm. where we've had the great intelligence. Uh, now, again, you know, conspiracy theorists will say, has the great intelligence come back to new Doctor Who because they knew for yeah. a longer than we did that they had this episode. It makes you wonder. And not, and makes you wonder. And the other conspiratorial thing is, what about this episode three? I think they did a, a pretty minimal job on it on this episode. It is basically screen captures. There's no animation like they did with the invasion one. Mm-hmm. And so, what happened was that. Uh, and there may be listeners that know more than 
than I know at the moment are more than you can recall. Cause I'm sure you know more than me, Lewis, about things like this. But I mean, I'm wondering whether you know they had started to to plan the animation, then they got the word that the thing had been found, and maybe they weren't sure whether episode three was one of the ones that was found. And so they put that on the back burner. Then it turned up that they, they either didn't have episode three or it was not usable. So they had to go with plan B uh, because they wanted to get it out. And so they went with these screen capture bits. Sadly, 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 of course, as we know and we've talked about, that's where, uh, you know, Colonel Lefkowitz Stewart's first real appearance. Yeah, when he first uh, meets the doctor. You know, yeah. Have, yeah. Well, uh, although that was never actually... The bit where he sees the doctor was never really in it in in that sense, I suppose. But um, anyway, I, th- I I think the the enemy of the world is a more important story in many ways. But I think this is a much more typical story of classic Who, and therefore, for on a different level and a different criteria. Um, some people may put this and be a more preferred story. I would just suggest anybody who gets them like I did in the wrong order that they try and exercise some restraint and do watch them in the right order. Although there's only a slight overlap, I still think it makes it more a satisfying experience because what you're basically then doing is watching 12 episodes mm-hmm. of Patrick Troughton yeah. in order. And I think that is absolutely brilliant um i think i gave uh last week's story uh four i believe so out of five mm-hmm. a very strong four out of five and i think i'm going to give this a very strong four out of five but as i say for that very uh, disparate reason that i think this was much more of a uh, a classic uh dot who story the other one was a very uh you know innovative one so i'll hand back to you for that uh, well, thank you. Yes, um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's interesting here at the end here. The the, the doctor feels that he he failed because he wants to, to uh, you know the great intelligence ex- essentially escapes. He's st- the the intelligence is still out there, and it's sort of um, you know uh, of course the characters then say, oh no no you actually saved you saved us all, and um, so what if it's still out there? We're you know you you're a hero and uh, let's do an interview and, you know, and then the, the doctor, what he normally typically does, he, he gets, uh, he, you know, he calls his companions and he, he runs for the TARDIS because he wants to escape any publicity and all that. But uh, it makes you wonder like, oh, well, you know, they obviously saved the great intelligence to come back once, once more. And who would think that it would take how many years, 45 years, uh, you know, our time before we see the great intelligence again in the snowman in the 2012 Christmas, um, special which actually takes place which is actually a prequel to this and the um and the bottomless snowman because it takes place in 1892 and um and that's when uh you know the doctor gives the gives the great intelligence this uh lunchbox <laughs> that has a map of 1967 london underground which uh brings us to this story um, this story is, as I said before, is, it's a little slower pace than, you know, comparing it to... I, I have to say that I do like the when Doctor Who has these linking uh, stories, you know, where this pick, this takes place, this picks, this starts at the very end of The Enemy of the World. And there's, um, there are other cases in Doctor Who's history where one story directly links into another, where it's not a story arc, you know, it's not where one story continues to the other, but that it just links nicely together. So I, I sort of like that as well. Um, 
so this is one of those cases. And um, also um, some little notes to um, just to pay attention to is that the doctor for a brief moment does play his recorder here, which is really nice to see occasionally. And oh, you know, yes. And, and everyone always says, you know, you never see the doctor eating. And there's a scene here where he's actually eating a sandwich at the TARDIS console <laughs> at the, in the beginning of it. So it's just, uh, oh, there's the doctor and he's eating, you know. So it's one of those rare times you actually see the doctor eat on, you know, in the TARDIS because uh, you, you don't see that often. And one thing about the, the the thing about you said playing the recorder, it, it was in the last story where um, the way... The, the doctor yes he convinces tells his companions that that he's not salamander is he he, he airplays he, he, he mimics recorder, yeah he? He, mim- he mimics playing the recorder and that's how they know oh it's really the doctor because how would salamander know that yeah quite yeah. ingenious. I, I agree with you about uh, and I, I i said it myself that you know it's nice to see basically 12 episodes mm-hmm. you yeah. know in a continuous run Obviously, it's also nice to have episodes where suddenly you don't know, uh, you know, the story ends and then suddenly the Doctor's back somewhere because then you leave gaps for, you know, uh, audio adventures and, uh, and books and so on. So I don't think we would want that every time. Yes, But yeah. in this particular case, yeah, with, the, I agree. with finding these stories, that's brilliant. Yeah. So what I would give this is now, now I'm, I'm going to rate it in two different ways. Because I always say I try to put myself in, you know, in the time period that it was produced and it came out, and, and try to imagine myself watching it then. And with that, in, taking that into account, um, I would maybe give us three and a half Tardis drones. But reviewing it at today, and I, I would up that to four Tardis drones because of the historical significance that this story has. I said, um, obviously, the great intelligence does come back some years later. Um, This is a... a, We see the Bonhamel Snowman again. Um, We see, as I mentioned, this is um, Nicholas Courtney's return to Doctor Who and the debut of the longest-running... I guess if you you know if you, if you want to call the brigadier a companion, uh, he's probably the longest running uh, companion um, in in that sense, um, or at least friend of the Doctor. Uh, he's he's a staple of the show. Uh, he's um, you know up until the series returned in twenty five in twenty two thousand and five. There was he was like the only actor. Oh, oh, okay. There was also uh, I should say before the nineteen ninety six movie, he was the only actor that had worked with all. Uh, of, of the previous doctors, you know, um, uh, as I said, he did work with William Hartnell, though he played a different character. Uh, so it's it's you know Nicholas Courtney is a significant part of Doctor Who. So this is oh, his indeed. his introduction. So I yeah I'll give it I'm, I'm giving it four out of uh, five Tardis groans. It's um, I did like the Enemy of the World a little bit better, and uh, but this is not to say that this is a bad story and and I do think that eventually just like I said with the enemy of the world this will see a special edition dvd release where maybe the they will have if if episode 3 doesn't turn up by that time maybe they will have an animated episode 3 instead of using um just stills and uh, um it, that that would might be might be nice and also having um audio commentary and some extras included as well which I think they'll do with enemy of the world at some point 
but they, they have to get busy because, uh, you know, it's uh, unfortunately time marches on and, and trying to get people that were involved in the, in the making of it. Um, you know, we, we're losing people all the time, unfortunately. Mm, indeed. Oh, excellent. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Highly recommended purchases. Purchases. Yes, yes. So if you haven't seen it yet, definitely uh, worth catching. It's great. I, you know, just seeing Patrick Troughton, is, he's really truly made for this role. He really, I mean, he takes it and uh, he takes it to another level. Not, not, to, not to diminish what William Hartnell did, but and I always say that Patrick Troughton is probably the most underrated, you know, actor of, of all the doctors because he, if it really wasn't, if if he failed to pull this off and to bring it to, to to really bring it to another level and bring something else to the character, we wouldn't be talking about Doctor Who today. Today, I mean, it would have, you know, it would have ran its course and maybe have a revival, you know, a remake or whatever that might have fizzled out. But he, I think. Um, there's so much that he brought to the role that then was carried on for you know as traits of the doctor for all other future doctors that would yet to be and um and i th- i think he's you can see that he's having a good time playing the doctor as well you know it it's doesn't seem like a chore for him it doesn't seem like he seems he really does and, and again not to diminish what william hartnell did um but he he just took what he t- william hartnell laid down the foundation and and Patrick Troughton built the first level on on that um, on this building on this what is soon to be a tower of doctors. Right. Well, um, I wouldn't say it was underappreciated, but it, um, it may well be with younger people. I mean, uh, up until David Tennant, uh, Patrick Troughton had, be, uh, had been my favourite doctor for years and years. Although I, I, I have, I like most of them. I, I like the third doctor as well. Um, just for background, um, he did three series. He did 21 stories, 190, 119 episodes. That's a pretty lot in three mm. years, isn't it? Uh, and his companions were Polly, Ben, Jamie, Victoria, and Zoe. Yeah, yeah. He's. Um, I, I think for Doctor Who, I think when I say underappreciated, I, I'm just I'm speaking of the general populace. I mean, I, th- I think for for diehard Doctor Who fans will appreciate him and, and what he you know brought to the part and and brought to the series. But for um, you know, I, I think maybe um, sometimes you know um, the general populace may not give him his due that he de- deserves. Right. All right. Well. Um, I, I, we'll, we'll have to discuss what we'll be doing next week because there's no more missing episodes, unfortunately, uh, that were discovered, uh, unless we get a surprise between Oh, now. no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, oh? no. As soon as this episode's out, there'll, there'll be news breaking. It happened right. last week. It'll happen this week. Not, not news about new episodes, but um, the one thing, as soon as you put this in the can... That's when some announcement will come out. Furry from the deep will be uh, discovered. <laughs> we'll continue the the the, <laughs> the, um, the the marathon of Patrick Chowton stories. All right. Well, um, I want to remind everyone that you can, you know, we want to hear what you have to say, not only about the Web of Fear, but also um, any Doctor Who related um, subject that you'd like to share with us. We're all ears. Um, you know, and, and sometimes eyes, if, we, if you want to send it to us uh, via text as well. But uh, since it's an audio podcast, we, we do enjoy audio. 
and you can send you if you most people have smartphones today or an iPad or a tablet anything that that's capable of recording you could also use your computer too but you'll need a microphone and whatnot but it's sometimes it's easier if you just have a uh, a smartphone or, or a tablet that can do voice memos. You can record a short voice memo, keep it like to three minutes or so, include a name. Uh, it doesn't have to be your real name, just something that, so we can, you know, say hello to you and refer to you. And then email it to us at, pod, at feedback, I'm sorry, feedback at podshock.net. Or if you like, if that's all too much for you, you can simply call the Podshock public call box. That's the Doctor Who Podshock public call box at 206 206- Three three seven four six nine nine. Again, that's two zero six three three seven four six nine nine. That's a it's a U.S. number. Uh, it's in Washington State, but that shouldn't make a difference. Um, you know, and most people today have this unlimited calling plan, whatever. So, and and it works just like voicemail. You call it, and uh, you could just leave a message there. And uh, you should hear my voice introducing it. You know that you're calling the the the, the pot the Pachak public call box. If you don't, that means the number might have changed. In that case, um, just go to our website pachak.net, and there's a feedback tab, a little tab on the top of the website, and you could click on that, and that will give you uh, the latest phone number or other ways that you can uh, send us your feedback because we always enjoy hearing your feedback. Um, now. Uh, we had a piece of feedback come in through Facebook of all places. And this is from, um, I'm not sure if he actually meant this to be read on air, but um, I'm going to, I'll do it anyway. (laughs) It's from Jonathan. He goes, I love, love the podcast guys. I started listening just as you recovered from Superstorm Sandy. And I hope you guys keep on trucking for years and years. Keep up the good work. So I just want to, uh, Thank Jonathan and, and thank everyone that, that's, that's um, either just discovered us or have been continuing listening to us. Uh, I know, you know, we had that little sabbatical, that little hiatus, if you will, where uh, we were, you know, specifically myself that was recovering from Superstorm super Sandy, which actually the, the recovery still continues today. But um, most of that, the, 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 the worst of that is behind um, behind me now. So um, we're going forward with the podcast and um, having a great time doing it. And, I, and thanks, Dave. And, um, you know, uh, Ian, who's not here, uh, uh, Taras, um, and others that have been, um, that, that, that have returned to the show and, and continue, um, you know, keep, keeping this going forward. Absolutely. That's great. Yep. So um, hopefully there'll be some news breaking, but, um, I know Lewis has got quite a few ideas on the back burner of, of things, so look out for episodes appearing soon. Might, yes, might be Marco Polo. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Marco Polo. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to remind everyone, you can help the show and show your support for Dr. Hugh Podshock for a low monthly subscription fee as a show of support. Not only will you be helping us to continue and grow this show, but you'll get some extra content as well. I know we haven't done any extra content recently after recovering from Superstorm Super Sandy, uh, but we do intend to to do some more extra content, and uh, we've been we had done it in the past. 
Also, there are other ways that we like to show our appreciation, um, including occasional giveaways to random uh, supporting subscribers, discounts at events, or any way that, you know, anything that, that we can, um, anything good that comes our way, we try to pass along to supporting subscribers. Um, you know, when we do live shows, uh, they'll be bumped up in the queue as well. So to become a Podshock supporting subscriber, simply go to podshock.net and click on the top there's, you'll find a Pachuk supporting subscriber banner, and if you click on that, you'll you'll learn how to become and you learn how to become a subscriber. Um, and if you're already a Pachuk supporting subscriber, I want to thank you for your continued support. It does continue to make a difference, but even more so now because uh, you know we were really devastated with what we went through, and um, we're still not fully back on our feet yet. So it does really make a difference. And um, so I really can't express any more gratitude than that. I know many of you maybe have moved on during our hiatus, and that's understandable, and um, I I can appreciate that. Uh, You may want to consider rejoining again. Anyway, once again, thank you for your continued support. It does make a difference. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dave, once again. And you can always catch Dave on the Cultum Collective. That's uh, every Sunday. You can catch him live on TalkShoe. And we're going to be doing uh, live on TalkShoe once again soon as well. I know I I promised that last episode and um, I'm still promising it. So uh, keep an an ear and eye out for that. But to uh, the Cultum Collective is on um, if you don't. If you don't want to listen or you can't listen live at on Sundays at 2 p.m., you, you can also catch it on uh, your favorite favorite podcasting catcher client, be it iTunes or anything else. It's um, Oh, we're all over the place. All over Tuned the place. in, Myro Guide, Podcast Directory, Podcast Plus, the uh, Player FM, uh, Flux 8, all over the place. So- uh Pure Connect. What will you be? Do- I should also clarify that it's not just Doctor Who. It's it's everything to do with cult shows and movies, and um, I, I guess mostly television shows and movies, right? Well, yeah, it's 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 cultum. It's sci- I mean, we do do things that are not science fiction. We do we do horror, fantasy, and, and even what comes under the cult programming yeah. now what's coming up is in flux at the moment but we are uh, when ian gets back from megacon uh, uh, and when the the uh, american versions of these uh, two rediscovered episodes uh, reappear we cult them will be doing their own review of uh, enemy of the world and web of fear as well very cool something to look forward to all right well thank you dave once again Cheers. and uh, we'll be back Cheers, everyone. Bye. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan-run GallifreyNMC.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the Podchuck Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit arttrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts. Come along, let's go up top a bit. Lots of life up there. Funny, isn't it? What? How do you keep on landing on your earth?